Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Monday, June 4th. It's just about 10 a.m. Central Time, and we're live out of Chicago. I should mention that our talk show is part of our Caregiving Podcast Network, and our podcasters are former family caregivers or current family caregivers sharing their stories, their insights, and their resources that can help you. Just a couple quick, couple quick updates before our guest joins us. We're going to announce this week our keynote contest for our National Caregiving Conference. So if you are interested in elevating what you know because of your caregiving experience into a keynote presenter, you'll want to pay attention. So caregiving.com will announce our keynote contest details this week so you can stop by to learn more. In addition, we do have a newsletter that is about our National Caregiving Conference, and we do share updates through the newsletter, so you can always subscribe to get updates so you don't miss anything. Earlier this year, we had put out a call for Family Caregiver of the Year Award winners, and we had a series of nominations. And our guest today was one of those who was nominated. So we connected through the nomination process, and I invited her to join us on our podcast to share her story. So joining us this morning is Pam Ludwick. So good morning, Pam. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. So caregiving for you started at a time when typically we don't think of a caregiving experience starting. It started for your son at at birth, was he di- at birth? So tell us about his diagnoses and tell us about what what the experience has been like for you over the period of two decades caring for him. Sure. He, when he was born, we had no idea anything was wrong. Uh, he was born, he was pure white, he was not breathing. Uh, they put him in an incubator with oxygen and he was uh, sent to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia a couple of hours old. Uh, they determined that he had a heart condition, a very rare form of congenital heart disease, and he had to spend the first three months of his life at CHOP where he underwent several procedures, including a very long 10-hour open-heart surgery. As a new mother, it was very, very tough. I was battling all the hormones. I I had this brand-new baby who was sedated 24-7. I couldn't hold him. I couldn't do anything. It it was really scary. And talk about being unprepared. Your expectation is that you're going to deliver your son, you're going to go home in a couple days, you're going to have your maternity leave, and then things will be as it should be for a for a new mom. Right. I and we had no I, idea. Yeah, I just can't imagine the shock of that experience for you and the trauma of it happening so quickly. When you think back to that time, your head and your heart must have been spinning. What was it that kept you going? My son. I, I had no choice. I... He needed me, so I needed to be strong for him. So luckily we were able to stay at the Ronald McDonald House in Philadelphia, and they did wonders for us. They were 
it was a wonderful place to be. And I never let anyone see me break down. It was, I had to be at the hospital. I had to be strong for my son, even though he was an infant and he was sedated. I couldn't give him, I couldn't let him see that I was breaking down. So you were the calm during the storm. I was. I don't know how I did it, but I was. How long was your son hospitalized before he returned home? Three months. Three months. Mm-hmm. He comes home, and at some point, you go, you return to work. Yes. I, it, I couldn't go back to work for a year because he was not uh, strong enough. His immune system wasn't strong enough for him to go into daycare. And his father was military, mm. so we didn't have a lot of family around us. Oh, wow. Did you quit your job and find another job? I actually, I did quit my job. And when the time came, I called them back up and they hired me back. Okay. I can't imagine though. I quit. Right. Yes. So it was a pressing family situation. Your first day back at work must have been a day where you felt really worried about what was going on. So you t- you've already been through a situation where you've, you've had this trauma. You're doing your best to keep your emotions calm. And then you, then you go back to work where you have to be focused, driven, productive. How did you, how did you cope with the worries around, is he okay, and staying focused at work? It it was a lot easier because I went back to where I was familiar with things. It was the same people. Mm -hmm. I had the same boss. I was in the same position. And they all knew my situation. So it made it a little bit easier. I wasn't just thrown into a brand-new job with brand-new people. So they all understood what I was going through. And they really helped me out a lot because it was hard. I, I worried all day. Yeah. Right. How could you not worry? Even at 21 years old, I still worry about him. Yeah. So your son is now 21. Yes. How is life for you now? How would you describe it? It's a lot more normal than it ever has been. He's, he's at college. He just finished his junior year. So he lives on campus. He he's part of clubs and activities. He he lives there. So I don't see him often, but I talk to him almost every day. And unless he's having a bad day or he's sick, he never comes home. He doesn't want to. He he doesn't like to let his illness define him. So he has come a long way. So during the twenty-year period. You're still in a caregiving situation. You're still managing his needs. You're still mm-hmm. working through worries. How did you find a support that worked for you? When he was younger, I really didn't have a lot of people close to me. 
we found out about um, the Hole in the Wall gang camp up in Connecticut that was started by Paul Newman for children with life-threatening illnesses. So he started going to camp there, and through there I found a lot of support from a lot of parents who were going through the same thing with their child. Regardless of the disease, we were all facing the same things. And And they have a lot of outreach programs. And I would imagine when you made that connection, it was, in essence, almost like a sigh of relief. It was, because I knew, even though I knew I wasn't alone, I didn't feel alone anymore, because Mm. I I could always reach out to one of my newfound friends, and they understood. I didn't have to say anything. We could go meet for coffee. We could talk on the phone, and they knew exactly how I felt and what I needed. Right. And I I think for others who want to be supportive but might not be in a similar situation, it's difficult to to find the right kind of support. And I think in yes, caregiving, you're looking, you're really looking to belong where you don't have to explain why it is that you're feeling a certain way. It's just accepted. That power of being accepted is huge. Yes, it was. It really helped tremendously. I didn't have to explain why I wouldn't allow my son to play sports, why he was always tired, why he couldn't do anything, why he was always on medication, because they understood. And I didn't get all the things from people who were trying to be helpful and say, well, what if you do this? And if you do that, and Uh, if you do this, maybe he'll be cured. That was one of the hardest Um, parts. So how did did you respond when someone, certainly well-meaning, would tell you something that you knew was just unrealistic, not possible, wasn't going to work? How did did you respond to them? Um, I didn't really. I, I wouldn't really talk to them because they wouldn't listen to reason. If I told them that, you know, well, his doctor has him on a path that we think is going to be good for him, they, they, it's almost like they blamed me that I wasn't doing enough or I did something wrong, and now I have to go out and find a way to fix it. So I stopped talking to people like that because they didn't want to hear it anyway. They would throw out their suggestions, but they didn't want to hear anything. I know they meant well, but they really didn't help the situation at all. At all. Uh, yeah, at all. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, you, you want to... You want to think of these people as well-meaning, and yet what they do is they actually add more stress because you think, oh, my gosh, but you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand. And then for your own survival, you actually then have a smaller world. Your world gets smaller, which can help you. Yeah, in the moment, but in the bigger scheme of things, 
You want support and help. You want friends who understand. Yes, you do. And it was tough at times, but I could not have people like that around me because it was stressing me out. And and I didn't need to hear how I must have did something wrong or things like that. Or you weren't doing enough of the right things. Right, yes. That you right. just didn't know. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Yes. And the, uh, the irony of this is that you actually are a scientist. So mm-hmm. you would have this amazing background to know because you have not only the education, but the smarts to know. So they had, that had to be doubly frustrating as a mom and then because of what you do as a professional. It was because the scientist in me was always looking for the answers. Why did this happen? Why us? And there are no answers. And the mom side of me just kept saying, well, we have to do this. And if it doesn't work, we just switch paths a little bit. And it was a fine line balancing between the analytical side and the mom side. Oh, okay. So how did you balance it or can you balance it? It was tough. I did because I just had to, uh, when I was at work, I was fully devoted to work. But the minute I left work, I didn't take any of that with me, and I just went home and I focused on my family. I, there was, I had to really make a clear uh, jump between the two. Yeah. How did you How did you? make that transition so that when you are at home work is behind you and then how did you transition from home to work so that home is behind you and the focus is work it wasn't easy and it took a lot to at at first i consciously had to really push thoughts of my other life out of my head and just focus on what I was doing. And and a lot of times when I was at work, it made it so much easier because then I forced that part of my life out of my head and I didn't have to worry and I didn't have to be concerned because I knew my son was in good hands where he was so that I could really focus on work. And then it gave me a mental break from it too. Absolutely, absolutely. We think about work sometimes as being a break. It's a break from the worry, the caregiving. And I think also work is that productive piece of our life that becomes very important to us. In caregiving, it can feel like there's just not the progress that we want, which can be really frustrating. And at work, we can feel like, okay, here's where I can make the progress and be productive. Yeah, and it took on that role for me. How do you talk about your son at work now? How often do you give updates to coworkers, to managers? What's the conversation like for you now? I'm very open, and anyone who works with me knows that. I don't go out of my way to tell people, but if anyone asks me, I'll tell them everything. I, I typically keep my manager updated on his progress because if I need time off for him, they've been very good over the years 
giving me the time I need. Like I know he, my son just had a heart surgery in March. So I needed a couple of weeks off for that. And, and any sometimes even the littlest things, I need to take off right away and just go home. So I, I am very open. I've learned over the years who I can trust and who mm-hmm. doesn't really care about my situation and just thinks that I'm, I'm everything I do, I'm trying to get something out of somebody. Mm-hmm. Ah. Ah. Uh, yeah. So you've touched on this. I don't want to call it a problem. Maybe it's a challenge that can happen in the workplace where you want to be honest about what's happening so that when you do need time off, it's not this complete surprise to everybody. What? She's been doing what? Right. What is going on in her family? And yet you also are aware that people will come to their own judgments about your situation, which are completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yes. We, letting, and it, it was horrible. How, how do you manage... I think the other thing is as nurturers and just innate caregivers, we worry about impacting others, asking others to pick up the slack, for instance. How do you manage so that your work continues even when there's a crisis and that your coworkers are up to date about what's happening? I what's that typically like go for to- you? Well, I typically go through my manager because my coworkers typically do not pick up the slack. So if I ever have to leave or if I take time off, they do the bare minimum. And when I come back, I have like a mound of work to get through because no one picked up the slack for me. Wow. And what's that like? It's horrible. They, they, I think it's more they don't understand and they think I'm trying to pull one over on somebody or I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but how can I step away for two weeks and then come back and have two weeks worth of work that nobody would do for me because they just didn't want to or they felt they didn't have to. Yeah, I can't quite understand that. And yet it's the reality. So I guess if we focus on the frustrations, we make the reality harder for ourselves. So so how do you let go? How do you let go of that frustration? Because they're not important anymore to me. I I come in, I do my job, whatever gets done gets done. If it doesn't, I'm only one person and I don't deal with them if I have to speak to my coworkers for work-related things or personal things. I will, but I don't go out of my way to be their friend anymore. Mm. Okay, because the lesson learned was it's not the relationship that's going to give back to you. No, it is not, and I can't waste my time on people like that, and I can't waste my time on continuously explaining my situation because they don't get it and I don't think they want to get it. I'm curious, what is it that 
so it seems like there is some fear. There is some fear around that. If you were to try to think of what they could possibly be afraid of or uncomfortable with, what would it be? There's a lot of different things. I know sometimes some people, when they don't understand, they think their child can catch what my son has. He's not contagious. He has a heart condition. He he also, when he was seven years old, was granted a, a trip to Disney World from Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I had a lot of people who stopped talking to me because they felt my son isn't dying. Why should Make-A-Wish give him something that he doesn't deserve? Either that or a lot of it is jealousy. I found a lot of people are jealous for things like Make-A-Wish. He, he got this fabulous trip, and they were so jealous that we went to Disney World for free and had this fabulous vacation, but they don't see the other side of it. You know, when he was that age, we had all these doctor's appointments, and we had the medicines, and we had procedures, and we had surgeries, and they don't see that side. They just see us as getting something, and I guess they felt that why couldn't their child get the same thing? You know, I'm just, uh, you know, my, my jaw is on the floor. I can't stop shaking my head. I, 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 wow. And, and I've spoken to a lot of people in my situation, and they say the same thing. People, they hear you get these wonderful things, and they get so jealous. But it's, when you look at the bigger picture, that's a small drop in the bucket to compare to everything else we go through. Right. Right. Okay, so it's this idea of unfairness. I'm I'm being cheated. It seems like. And from your yes. coworkers, this idea could be, gosh, she gets time off at a drop of the hat. I don't. Yes, it so has a lot unfair. to do with that. But they don't see the other side. When I go home, it's not like I just go home. When I go home, there is, it's like I have a second job because it all right. starts. And now that he's older, it's a lot better. But when he was younger, it was like a whole second job. It was my um, caregiving job. Which is just as intense, if not more so. Yes, because he was a lot sicker when the younger he was. So what do you like about your work? Oh, that's a loaded question. I actually love what <laughs> I do. I, I, love, I, I love coming into work because if you, if you get a medication or an over-the-counter drug and it has that expiry date on it, someone like me actually did the research and, and was able to put that date on there and so they, I know when you take a drug and it has an expiry date, I know any time before that date, you're safe to take that drug. And I love to know that in some little way, I'm helping people who need these life-saving drugs. Wow. And because of your personal caregiving experience, you know how important these drugs are. Yes, I do. 
So you have this incredible gift of the vision, meaning you know what it's like in the house, in the home. Mm-hmm. You have this ability to see what it means to a family, to have a drug, keep someone alive. Yes, I do. And, and that really keeps me going at work because I know that what we do is helping people. I, I, you know, you've been touching on a few things as it relates to caregiving, which is people don't know what goes on in the house, which is one of the challenges during a caregiving experience. We don't show it, so people don't understand it. And because of your personal experience, you know what it looks like inside the house. You're able to mm-hmm. connect that personal story to something that's tangible, like a drug. And that's such an important piece in the healthcare system for the healthcare system to see that personal story and understand what it's like inside the house, what the family is going through. And yes, and I I see that a lot of my coworkers don't. I mean, they they say they understand, but I don't think they really do. When when your twenty year old son comes home and at seven o'clock at night he's in bed for the night because he just physically can't do it anymore for the day. It, It that's what I was thinking as well. Your coworkers could really view you as having this really invaluable, almost like market research (laughs) that they could Mm -hmm. get into that could really enhance their ability to do their job. You're, in essence, the voice of the customer. Yes, in a lot of ways I am. So you're this untapped resource right there on the team. And they're too busy counting, in essence, counting who gets time off, who gets more, who gets less. They're yes, focused and, on and how, and how my time off affects their time off. Bottom line, they, they, if something happens and I need time off, their major, biggest concern is how does that affect me? Right. Right. You are not the only family caregiver impacted by that perception. No, I've learned over the years that I'm not. So how do we change the workplace so that it's not us versus them? I don't think you can. I I think, I mean, I've tried to educate people. I've tried to to let them in a little for them to see. If they don't want to see it, they're very closed-minded. And no amount of talking or or sharing experiences is going to make them change their minds. And here's what we know that they don't. At some point in their life, a caregiving experience is going to be a part of their life. Mm Mm-hmm. And and some of them don't, when it's later on in life and it comes out of the blue, they don't know how to deal with it. Uh, 
Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, and it sounds like your manager is supportive. Yes. And it's interesting that you have a supportive manager, but it's not able to, to trickle down to change the team. They don't want to see it. Like I said, it's mostly how does this affect me? Right, right. How does this impact me? Right, right. Pam, we're out of time, if you can believe that. It always goes so quickly, our 30 minutes. Yes. And I, I could talk I for can't hours you, on this. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. And I, as we've been talking, I've been thinking of other things that we're doing, other initiatives. So I'll follow up with you offline in an email and see how we could continue the conversation because I think what you add to the conversation is so valuable. And even though you're preaching to the choir, it's still important for us to hear that Mm -hmm. your struggle is similar to our struggle. So we actually then have an idea of what is it that we want to change and what we want to change is a culture and how do we do that? And the more voices we add, it's very yeah, tough to do. Very, right. very it is tough, tough to, to do. do. I don't necessarily have any answers. And I think that's where we're at a, a place of trying to brainstorm what are the answers. We've, we've zeroed in on the problem, so what are the answers? Thank you, Pam, so much. And I so appreciate you took time out of your day during work, too. So I, I'm grateful that you were able to connect with us and share your story, and I hope that the rest of your day brings good news. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we do always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.